White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 All right, welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz, and I'm here this week with, with Lance Brozdowski. He had a very emotional day. His transition from college <laughs> to, to man, back to college again, sort of happened today. It sort of began, right? You were, you moved out of Boston. We're recording this at pretty much 1130 on Thursday night. Very so late, yes. pretty, pretty late. We both had long days, but our commitment is such to the product into the hustle, into the process that we are here, and we're ready to go. Lance, tell me about your day, man. It was a big day moving out of Boston, I'm sure. It, it was wild, yeah. It was nice and hot, which is fantastic when you're moving large objects into a car, and then you have to get in that car, and your AC isn't the best, so then you sweat, and now I'm just covered in sweat. I'm in a shower at like 1 a.m., which I don't think I've ever done in my life. And I'm eating a, and I'm oh, eating yeah. a power bar. It's just, it's unbelievable. But it was a good day, you know? Um, yeah, no, 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 nothing crazy, Ralph, but... The drive back was smooth, you know, so I'm, I'm now in Connecticut and I will be heading out to Chicago within the next uh, week or so, I believe, from 10 days. So that's that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And I have to say that your college experience apparently was not up to par with mine. If you've never uh, had a reason to shower at one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> maybe not voluntarily. I don't know if like I, I ever fall asleep. Involuntarily. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant like very. 
I'm talking. I'm talking very voluntarily. Voluntarily here. Wow, I'm I'm tripping over my words. What happens to me at 11:30 at night? I start to sound like I'm drunk. Maybe I am. Maybe I am drunk. Maybe you Who are. knows? Um. So you know what? Let's jump right in here. We got so, a lot to cover. Uh, once again, I buried the lead, but we are doing a first-year player draft. So more or less, we're going to take the last two shows. We're going to mash them together like some two different colors of Play-Doh. And we're going to have our mismatched, multicolored first-year player draft, the first iteration of it. I'm sure between now and October, November, December, when I update my rankings and actually do my first set of first-year player drafts, usually my first one's early December, um, I'm sure a lot's going to change. Absolutely. <laughs> Players will be injured and that is uh, a, lot of, a lot of things will happen. So that's going to be interesting. I think we're going to go through maybe like the top 10 we have a couple variances, not yeah. too many. I think we're, we're pretty close, though, for the most part. Everyone's in shouting distance. And uh, you'll see I have a little bit of approach. Maybe we'll read off some of the other guys that we uh, sort of have on the fringe or we're, we're kicking around. But I wanted to jump into some of the sort of hot notes, news, some of the things that have been going on thus far in MILB. And I guess MLB was sort of prospect eligible or players that we kind of covered in the off season to begin with. One of them being Austin Meadows, who is uh, playing incredibly well. He's getting a decent amount of run. Um, they've sort of been platooning uh, Corey Dickerson more or less, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily saw. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all in again. I got to say, I am all in again. I know that uh, I am an easy sell. I, I, it took me a while to get off of the Meadows train. So I think I was just looking for, for any reason to believe uh, whatsoever. It's almost like an ex-girlfriend that you like really hung up on, just like text you or you run into her at a bar and you're like, Hmm, I'm just going to get one more night, one more <laughs> night. And, uh, maybe that's what, maybe that's what Meadows is. I'm always looking for a reason to believe, but, uh, I've always been a big fan of the swing. Uh, I, I think we both now sort of settled on, uh, the, the approaches, you know, in terms of his hands lowering a little bit, uh, with, you know, the, the, the pre swing setup and all that sort of stuff. It has played out. He's been able to tap in a little bit more power. And uh, I know I said this like a year ago, but I always wondered what would happen once Austin Meadows got to the major leagues and hit the major league balls. Would the amount of power that we sort of need for him to have that baseline value value that we expected sort of get back there when he's not hitting in the International League, he's hitting the major leagues, and he's hitting those, uh, those juicy baseballs? Well, that seems to be less of a topic now than it used to. But I, I always feel like there's a lot of guys that hit for more power in the majors than they do in the minors. I agree. I think that honestly, there's, there's especially other from things. The East coast, especially from the East fair, coast. Fair. That's a very good point. Especially, I mean, Easterly, I think is relatively pitcher friendly, but um, some of the parks at least. Um, yeah, and international as well. Mm-hmm. And, Outside uh, of Reading in the Eastern league. Yeah. Red, everything in Philly, Philly and cores, yeah. Philly and Colorado based any minor league teams don't even look at the stats <laughs> or take 75% of them or something. But the most impressive thing with Meadows for me is obviously Ralph, like, the peripherals around him. He's walking 6.5% of the time. His swinging strike rate is like below 5%. The contact yeah. rate is unbelievable at 90%. I know we're only at like a 50 plate appearance sample, so to speak, 12 games or so, but he's got four hormones. He's got three bags. Yeah. I don't think he's been caught yet. I, it's interesting. And I think that I, this is almost like an introspective thing for me because I bought into the fact that I was in the kind of camp that I didn't like the swing adjustment. And I think that you were probably on the other side of that, rightfully, Ralph, because you kind of always hung around him pretty high. Even, I think, in your last update, you were relatively high on him compared to a lot of other people. And yeah, I was interested in that. 50. Yeah, yeah, which I don't th- I think a lot of people had him outside. I think I dropped him outside. I bet the majority of the industry dropped him outside just because 
I mean, he'd been in he'd been in Triple A and Double A and jumping around for so long. The results just never were great. They never were, you know, the the never the, what they were right now. Honestly, like that's it's it's unbelievable what he's doing. Um, I'm interested to see what aspects sustain, and which aspects don't. I think there's obviously going to be some that don't, but the most encouraging things is the discipline. I'm I'm all about the discipline. His ISO looks fantastic. I know again, small sample, etc. But He's been killing the ball. He's been playing, I think, average defense as well. I think that's what you're probably going to get from the long term from him. But, you know, this yeah. is a combo guy where you can end up 60 hit, 60 game power at the end of the day. Um, maybe a little lower. Maybe maybe like 50 game power. But 60 hits also. It's going to result in like a 280-ish average with good pop. And he's obviously shown some wheels. He stole eight bags in AAA in Indianapolis this year. And, again, he's already got three. Um I'm impressed. I didn't see this coming, honestly. I, I think I mm. it's introspective in terms of me realizing that maybe I shouldn't have re- reacted as as everyone else did to the adjustment of the hands down and that being a bad thing. And I mean, it's been unbelievable. He's he's been killing the ball. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of funny. You look at uh, you know some of the projection systems; they've sort of moved the needle on him a little bit too. Zips in particular. Um, I don't think anybody had him for more than a couple of homers. They now have him 265, 318, 463. So, I mean, 463 from Zips, that yeah, is, uh, that's, a, that's a relative ringing endorsement in terms of them believing in, in his long-term uh, power hitting ability. And I always thought just across the board baseline, I expect the walk rate to, to jump a little bit. Strikeout rate's going to There's no way he's going to Yeah, he's not. I know, but this is super encouraging. Sure, sure. I mean, but and, and the underlying uh, plate discipline numbers is just sort of brought up with the swing strike rate. Uh, and even his O swing, which 27% is sort of getting into like that. Let's watch this territory. There might be something there. But he's got like an 83% uh, O contact, which yeah. is like unheard of. I, I mean, it seems like I don't know if he's playing with like a 38 inch bat or something. It seems <laughs> like he's hitting absolutely everything, you know, yeah. um, like a man amongst boys in, in some ways. It's, it, it's, it's kind of strange when a guy comes up and all of a sudden like unlocks everything he thought was there. And I mean, he was hitting pretty well in triple a, but he wasn't setting the world on fire. I mean, he's no, we'll talk about him later, but he was no Christian, uh, Kristen Stewart for sure. Yeah, he was killing triple a, you yeah. know, um, but why don't we move along here to another guy that got the call this week, a player that I've been high on for a long time. One of my favorite fastballs, just pure fastball uh, stuff. It has some nasty tail on it. That would be the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dennis Santana. I think we talked extensively about Santana with uh, Wilson Caraman. So if you want to go back and listen to that, Wilson's got a lot of firsthand looks in these guys. He, of course, covers the Dodgers. I'm uh, really the Cal League for, for baseball prospectus, and I thought it was a, uh, a great conversation between the three of us, and we both sort of talked up Santana. Um, he pitches Sunday in Colorado, is my understanding. I could confirm that. Let me see. I wasn't. I didn't uh, actually know he got scheduled, but I mean, Kershaw with the MRI. So yeah, I don't know if it's officially scheduled. Uh, yeah, of of recording this, you know, this is this is Thursday night, of course. Uh, Kershaw was pulled out of the game, having an MRI. Tweet something else in the back. That tells me that he's definitely headed back to the DL. Um, on one note, I really hope this isn't this isn't the beginning of the end, or yeah. more or less the the sign of the end for. Clayton Kershaw and then he's going to chase it for a few years and sort of lose it that that would be uh unbelievably tragic just because of the amount of talent this guy had and how good he is and I just I want to see him make 30 starts a season I'd I take 28 at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you want him to be close to that number so it's a little bit sad but 
I guess what the silver lining is, is Dennis Santana might have an opportunity to sort of stick with the Dodgers. Uh, and he's an interesting player. Like I said, really good fastball. Uh, the breaking ball is above average. And the changeup is average and, and, and getting better. I called it a good changeup. And I think that means that he can throw it for a strike. And, you know, he mixes it well with the breaking ball and that wonderful fastball that he has at his entail. But changeup has definitely made drastic improvements. And it's been one of the reasons that he's taken a step forward year after year. This kid was obviously a converted shortstop as well. Um, anything you wanted to add on Santana? Any thoughts at all? Um, no, not specifically. I think you kind of covered it well there in terms of the French changeup. But, I mean, it's still a pitch he's going to be able to use, I think, to left-handed hitters mm-hmm. um, and be able to mitigate some of the obviously split issues, the natural split split issues that are going to occur with a good slider. Um, so they have Bueller slated for Saturday, and then Sunday they have Alex Wood on MLB.com, and then Monday's a super short um, day in terms of everyone in the league, so they don't play. But no one scheduled for Tuesday yet, and I believe they go into Pittsburgh on the 5th of June. So... I guess that's huh. maybe a potential Dennis Santana day next Tuesday. Yeah, because I know there was a double a double header on Sunday. I thought in Colorado, and they were saying that he oh. might get the start. Thing. Oh, I might overlook that. You might be right. Let me see quick. Yeah, um, that's that's what my my understanding was, but I don't huh. I don't know if that's uh, if that has changed whatsoever. Huh. Well, hey, maybe that's it. Oh, regardless, it seems like he might actually the door might be that's opening for a solidified was. slot with yeah. with Kershaw with the MRI because sure. that just seems like a DL waiting to ha- happen. Exactly. And uh, I want to update everybody as well. I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch uh, Shane Bieber start? His, I his did not. You know, no. Another guy that got called up. He looked pretty good. I watched uh, the first five innings of the start, and then I got called away with uh, with some dad duty and didn't go back. So he was, um, and I'll tell you right now, I think it was about 65 pitches through the fifth, struggled a little bit um, the the uh, uh uh, through the fifth. He actually was really good in the first inning, came out, uh, gave up a hit to Eddie Rosario on the black, but the first at bat, he struck out uh, uh, Brian Dozier and then ended the inning uh, with a, uh, a strike him out, throw him out with uh, Gomes picking off uh, Rosario at first, but he, but he dropped in a nice, uh, a nice curveball, uh two, one curveball, a one, two curveball on uh, Miguel Sano, and it, it was a, a, a relatively beautiful pitch. But he must, yeah, so he gave up a couple of runs in the fifth. They brought him back out for the sixth, and he gave up another two. So did not get a quality start, only went five and two-thirds, uh, eight hits, four runs, six Ks, and a walk. Ended up giving up two homers, which is, uh, yeah, wow, that must have happened the following the following inning. He must have given up a couple of uh a couple of dongs, one to Logan Morrison and the other one to Eduardo Escobar, which kind of funny. He only allowed 11 homers through 262 minor league innings. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit too hittable. I'm hoping that's not the case. I, I, I'm hoping that's not the case, but I, I might be wrong. I don't know. I've, I've liked Bieber for a while. I like his, his pitch sequencing. I think he's a guy that has good feel for his stuff and he's got some stuff too. It's not like this guy, you know, can't ramp up the fastball. He's got a 94 mile per hour <laughs> fastball that does have, you know, a little bit of run on it. Uh, the, the curveball was relatively sharp. He can throw the slider and the changeup for strikes. Uh, he knows what he's doing. I just, wow. That's, that's unfortunate. Two bettings. I guess it was that, uh, that sort of third time through the order that, uh, that got him. It might've. Yeah. I'm looking at his, uh, baseball savant data from this game that he started. I didn't, I didn't get to see any of the games. So I'm purely just looking at stats here, but he was like, it looks like he was sitting 65% cur- fastball, Slider was his dominant off-speed pitch. He used the changeup about six times. 
um, curveball as well as kind of that periphery pitch. Um, but he had a decent amount of swinging strikes across each of the pitches too. It's a couple I per they, eight total, I, so it's interesting. I think they mismarked some some curveball sliders, to be honest with you. Okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, they're actually, the velocity differential on the two of them is pretty close. It looks like he's averaging 83 on the slider yeah. and 80 on the curve. Whereas with other guys, you tend to see a little more of a differential. Like, you think a guy like Walker Bueller, that slider's like 88, and his curveball's like yeah. almost high 70s. So maybe yeah. he's like a Sonny Gray-style tinker, and I don't want to bring up any horror stories with Sonny Gray, because I know he has a pitch ball, and everyone might be a little bit hurt and uh, sensitive regarding that. But Much better Gray's control a, than Gray, though. Yeah, yeah, but Gray's like a tinker in terms of how he uses his curveball and slider. Those pitches are both very vertical pitches in terms of how they break, and I wouldn't yep. be stunned if you're right on that in terms of their classification. But, yeah, I, I, it looks pretty good from the from everything around you. Yeah, you're, you're right, 90, 93 on the fastball, topped out at 95, it looks like. Um, he got yeah, hit he around was, a little bit, but... Um, yeah, and it was that, like maintained. I said, he was... He was clean through the first, like, four innings. Uh, you know, he was probably, I want to say going into going into the fifth inning, he was probably maybe, like, 50 pitches, not even. Interesting. So, I mean, he was he looked like he was efficient. He was going to go deep. Um, but, ah, Twins got him, I guess. <laughs> Those Twinkies. Bad, bad Twinkies. <laughs> That's rough stuff. So, last guy I wanted to bring up here before we sort of jumped into the weekly 5x5 five five and then our top 10s in the first-year player draft was Forrest Whitley. It looks like Whitley's going to be back from his 50-game uh, suspension for a drug of abuse. And uh, he would have been back already. The suspension actually ended on the 29th of May, um, but he had a lat strain, so it sort of delayed his throwing program. He threw a sim game, I believe it's on Tuesday or Wednesday. They just said earlier in the week, but I didn't hear the news on Monday. I heard it this morning. So I'm guessing it was a Tuesday or, or, or early Wednesday. Uh, session. They plan to throw him again for another simulated game, I believe, over the weekend. And then it's a decision on whether he's going to be assigned to Fresno, which I think would be a little bit aggressive, or if he's back in Corpus Christi for the, at least the beginning of the season. Uh, kind of interesting. The Astros don't really necessarily have a need right now um, in the rotation, so there's no reason for them to really force Whitley. I would imagine with the lat strain, some of that stuff, getting him back on track because of the suspension likely he's going to be Corpus Christi and then we'll see if he pitches, you know, lights out, then he'll be, you know, he'll be up to Fresno probably within two, three, four weeks. But, um, I'm interested in Whitley, you know, coming back and seeing what he can do and see if he can carry over all of his, uh, uh, huge success from 2017. Anything yeah. you want to add on? Yeah. So Houston kind of chronicles reporting that he will start at, um, an expected placement at Corpus Christi, which makes sense. He threw, it only yeah. looks like he threw about 14 innings there last year, pitched really, really well, but, I mean, they're obviously going to want to give him, I think, more looks at that high A to double A jump because he's thrown about 77, almost 80 innings between A and a, high A for the Astros. And then he obviously, he flew through the system last year, got all the way up to Corpus Christi. So I'm, I'm not stunned to see him repeat there. I think that's a good idea in terms of his development process. Sure. See how he is. Um, looks like he's been throwing down in Florida as well out of his team facility. Or I'm not actually sure how that works in terms of like suspension and then you're allowed to be around the team or such. But, uh, Maybe it's some facility. Maybe he's from Florida. Um, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm super excited about him. He's uh, one of the top right-handed pitchers in baseball. I think he's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to get Alex Rice to graduate soon. I know he just went down with a lat strain, which might kind of delay that process a little bit. But you got Kobeck who should be up soon as well. And then Whitley, who I know they obviously you mentioned they don't really have a need the Astros in terms of how they actually want to use him long-term. Maybe there's uh-huh. some thought of them bringing him up late and possibly being a bullpen arm because I know he's got a heavy, heavy, heavy fastball. He goes two breaking balls with the slider curve and the changeup. I think everyone's projecting on his plus as well mixes in a cutter as well he's he's got a he's got a mix of pitches and this kid is super super interesting massive frame six seven two forty um 
that's I can't really think of many other pitchers in baseball that are that big. Lucas Giolito's large and Glasnow's large, but the thing that differentiates Whitley from those two is the fact that he has very, very good command of his pitches. Maybe it's mm-hmm. more kind of more control and he's developing the command side, obviously, but he's he's able to throw strikes. He's maintained, you know, sub ten percent walk rates for the extent almost I think it was a minor league career. He's almost down around seven percent consistently as well. So, I mean you guys get you got Last time with Giolito, we have huge, huge command problems at the major league level. But it seems like Whitney, Whitley might be able to escape that and actually warrant some of the some of the top, you know, fifteen ranks. I think we've thrown on him, and I wouldn't be shocked if anyone kicked him outside of their top fifteen because of the suspension. Maybe they were worried about that, possibly affecting his performance, whatever. However, you want to interpret it, you know, I think that once you get some sample of him back at Corpus Christi again, you're going to see him hop back up into a lot of the upper tier of top prospect lists and. I'm super excited for him. Corpus Christi. Hopefully he gets to start soon. I'll have to watch that on MILB TV, Ralph. Excited for that. Yeah, me too. What do you say we get into the 5x5? Five five? Let's do it, man. You want to go first? Yeah, you know what? Fine. This week I'll go first. I usually <laughs> let you go first. And But the thing is that messes up our segue. Oh, okay, your let, number me go first. One let me go first. It's Forrest Whitley. Uh, Forrest Wall. It is. I wanted the alliteration of the Forrest <laughs> W's back to back. But you know what? We're going to do a Forrest <laughs> W sandwich. And the okay. meat's going to be... The meat's going to be Logan Allen of the Padres. I think everybody knows that Logan Allen is probably one of my favorite pitching prospects uh, in the game. I had gone on uh, the Welsh's show, Prospect One, uh, or maybe it was James Anderson and the Welsh's show on Sirius. It was one or the other. And uh, they were looking for bold predictions. And I actually said that I thought Logan Allen would potentially have the uh, the best season of any of the top Padres pitching prospects, including – Michelle Baez, Mackenzie Gore, Cal Quantrill, Adrian Morahan. Um, obviously, uh, I don't know if we're, we're counting Lucchese as one of those guys or not, but I picked Logan Allen to have the best season. Tonight, he went seven no-hit innings. This is Thursday night. Uh, struck out seven. He's actually got 76 strikeouts in 66 innings thus far this season. Also has 29 walks. Five of those came tonight, so he did have a no-hitter, but he had five walks, so it was one of those Edwin Jackson sort of no hitters. Um, but, you know, I've always liked the stuff uh, with Allen, you know, big fastball, really good changeup as well. Um, not huge, not huge uh, velocity. He sits more 92, 94, can pop 95 uh, on occasion. But uh, it, it's definitely, you know, a, a, a potential plus changeup that he has. And, you know, I think I think his curveball has has above average stuff. Um you know, mixes mixes all three pretty well, and uh, like I said, he's not he's not a, a control guy so much, but he does sort of have command of of, of his stuff and sort of shapes it nicely, um, and and sequences well, obviously with the fastball and the changeup, and that's sort of what drives his swing and miss numbers, which really isn't all that different from from Chris Paddock, though uh, I know Paddock is much more in vogue than Logan Allen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that's a good one. I actually saw that MILB notification come through my phone as I was driving home. Oh, did you? So uh, I, was, I was like, oh, I was Logan Allen. I some of the start. Oh, nice. I was watching some of the start because I'll, I'll go through sort of like uh, box scores and sort of bounce around once the, the kids are going to bed or yeah. whatever. And, and uh, yeah, when I see something that, you know, a player I'm kind of, you know, honing in on, especially a pitcher, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to check out what he's doing. And uh, Allen's always a guy that I, I try to check in on. Have you watched a lot of Allen at all? I haven't watched too much. I remember looking at him when we were looking at the Padres system just because I didn't know a lot of the kind of periphery uh, arms because obviously, you know, everyone knows Cal Contrell, Luke Casey, Michelle Baez, and all those guys. And 
I understand Spinoza, but there was that tier of guys like Eric Lauer and Logan Allen and a couple other guys, and obviously Lauer's gotten absolutely hammered at the major league level, but it seems like Allen might be able to differentiate himself a little bit in terms of his mix. I think his size is pretty good, 6'3", 200 is what Fangraphs has him at, and I think mm-hmm. that I don't think any of the pitches grayed out is like 60 plus, but I think there's hope that changeup could get there, which is obviously going to be big. Um, might create some, uh, or actually he's a lefty, so that'd be almost like in a Snell yeah. way, but like Snell kind of way yep. in terms of that curveball change, change being dominant, obviously to right-handed hitters. So I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I don't think I've watched too much tape. But. Yeah, he, yeah, he's an he's an interesting guy, and the other part of it too is he's got an, a really interesting grip on uh, the changeup. It's a Vulcan grip, so. You know, his more or less his uh, middle finger and his ring finger on his left hand are, you know, extended like a V, you know, over the seams. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's why it gets it gets a little bit of, you know, run and dive on it, too. So I think that's that's all part of it is that uh, it comes out of his hand like the fastball, different grip, but he gets, you know, a decent amount of spin uh, and some break on it. So who's your number one? We already mentioned it was Forrest Wall. Yeah, so tell Forrest me about Wall. Forrest Wall. You got some looks this weekend or week, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I got some looks. I think my top three guys here are all guys I got looks at in the last week. I've been kind of jumping around the Eastern League. I went and saw, um, well, it was initially going to be our Soto game. But Soto obviously got called up. So I went and he was with my dad and we watched we watched Forrest Wall's uh, AA debut actually. Ran into that and also ran into a rehab stint of Dana Murphy and Brian Goodwin. So it was a very odd yep. game. Very unexpected. <laughs> but um, Wall looked pretty good. It was huh? the first kind of time I ever got, obviously, to see him in person coming from... Um, he was down in Lancaster, obviously, jumps up to Hartford now. But he was batting leadoff. He's had a relatively rough stretch in the last couple games that he's played. He's one for 16 with a walk, four strikeouts. Um, and he's batted leadoff, I think, almost every game he's played. He's playing center field. Um, it, it's it's not obviously a good start. Maybe there's a small little adjustment. I know a lot of guys sometimes have that high A to double A jump where that kind of kicks them in the butt. And we, we saw that with almost Brendan Rodgers to some extent, I think, a little bit last year, Ralph, in terms of he came up. And he wasn't obviously laying the world on fire. Now he's starting to do so. And especially going from a place like Lancaster to Hartford, I think Hartford runs oh, yeah. ne- neutral to pitching parks or p- even more pitching park than anything. So it's going to be kind of, a, I think, a change for him. I'm really happy to see him then being a little bit aggressive with him. He obviously ran into an injury, I think, two years ago that kind of shut him down for a while and kind of lost some of the prospect buzz because of that. Um, because of that lost development time. But he's going to get back. I think he's a little bit older. I think he's like 23 or 24. Or is it mm-hmm. Right, Ralph? I think he's in that window. I could check. But, um, but... Uh, whoa, I want to say he was a high school kid in 2014. So oh, Okay, so maybe he's not. Okay. 23 would seem old. I want to say he's like 20... 22. 22? 22. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's 22 in November birthday. So he'll be 23 next season. But, okay, so he loses the, that. Because he's a high school bet, he loses, obviously, the year of development time. But he's still relatively young, I think, compared to a lot of other guys. But, um... I liked what I saw in terms of his mechanics and his stance. I thought that the the barrel path I thought was a little bit longer than I expected from a guy who's probably going to end up being more contact than anything. I don't personally think I see too much power evolving with him, which is going to obviously limit the upside. But then again, you go into cores and that can blow up immensely in terms of how much obviously you want to project that out. But I think the bat's pretty good. He's got a little toe tap. He starts really quiet. And I, it's interesting too, because he's some guys you got to just look at them and you go, Oh my God, the stance is everything's noisy, but he starts where his bats very quiet on his shoulder, left-handed, left-handed bat. And he kind of closes off, goes to a little toe tap. And then he does the, um, almost like a little bit of a, of a, I don't know. I, I always call it a hand pump. It's just basically like if you're resting your bat on your shoulder and then, 
you bring your hands out over the plate and then bring them back into your load. And I think it obviously lengthens some swings, but you see this in guys. The thing that I actually reminded me of initially was Sam Hilliard, who we saw a lot. He kind of does the same thing. I know another guy like Brent Rucker does that from the right side. Very, again, two very different profiles from Wall, but Wall does the same thing. But he syncs it up well enough with his uh, with his kind of toe tap that it works out. Um, and I like what I saw. I thought everything was relatively explosive in terms of what he can do, but I think that he's limited on the power department just on the swing itself and what I think his max effort. You know, he's going to be more of like a gap guy. But, you know, get him to course, maybe he hits 15 home runs. Um, hasn't been too, too efficient with the stolen bases. But, um, so slow start at double A for Forrest Wall. But I, I like what I saw. I think that he could end up being, you know, I don't know if he's going to supplant a guy like Brandon Rogers if Brandon Rogers is the future second baseman. But, you know, he could be kind of a Garrett Hampson-y kind of guy. Maybe a little bit more contact. Maybe a little bit more of the hit tool where his Hampson might be a little bit more of the speed side. So I can see it being an interesting kind of utility platoon situation in a couple of years for the Rockies between Wall and, and Hampson. Um, any thoughts on Wall, or do you want to jump to your number two, Ralph? Yeah, no, I, I think I'll have to get a look at Wall. I mean, because he's a guy that the numbers all of a sudden ticked up again. Uh, you know, once you know, once he was in Lancaster, especially in terms of the power. Yep. Um, you know, obviously he has the lefty thing. Now he was a guy that was supposedly a bit of a speedster, but I know the numbers didn't translate necessarily, especially uh, as he's moved up a little bit now. Um, you don't see him as much as a base dealer as as Hampson is. No, I think it's more just base running okay. ability as opposed to pure stolen bases. Um, he's I don't think he's tried one yet, but he was 20 for 28 in Lancaster. I just really don't like seeing percentages like that. Like, you got, for me, to to be confident in translation to speed at the major level, you got to be over, like, 75%, especially sure. high with catchers aren't good. Oh, he's, yeah. he's 60, whatever, 65-ish percent. That I'm sure that translates out to. I'm just not super encouraged by that, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, like, non- it's going to be non-zero speed, you know, 10 bags or so. But I think there's value in that for sure. Yeah, I, but I think he's sort of gone from a guy that some people thought would be an interesting second-base prospect and, and a guy that would be fantasy relevant because of the speed and the contact and cores, sort of being a very fringe guy, and there's other guys in the system that you're a lot more excited about, especially sure. with, it seems, you know, him logging most of his time in the outfield. Uh, as for a guy who is a middle infield prospect that was drafted highly First overall, in fact, that's Royce Lewis. I feel like we're updating this guy every single week, but that's because he's doing incredible stuff every single week. I actually am quoting myself. I said that in my article <laughs> on Thursday, um, but he's had a big set of games like over the last week. He's been playing well throughout the season. I think he's hitting 314, 315 right now. I was going to look up what his exact slash line was uh, after tonight, but he had uh, a couple of steals on uh, Wednesday night in, in a game, and that follows up a game where he had a couple of homers actually on Sunday it was his first two homer game. Uh, I don't know if it was, ever his, I want to say of his career because he only homered once or twice last year in rookie ball. No, he homered four times between two levels, but I don't think he had any two homer games. It was his first two homer game of his career. Um, he's now hitting uh, three, three sixteen, three sixty two. Are you doing the math right now? Four, 437. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up on my phone. I love it. Um, 437. I didn't have fan graphs in front of me. I don't want to slow it on my computer. Uh, 437. So he's ticking up a little bit in terms of the power. That that number hovered around 400 or so for the early month or so of the season. Looks like he's getting to a little bit more power. It's also heating up in the Midwest League, so that's helping a little bit. Uh thing I'm most impressed by is his ability to get on base um, you know, and just, and just sort of grind out at bats. He does a really good job of that. Good contact guy. 
The speed's there. I think he's going to grow into more power. And we could be potentially looking at, in a few years, a true five-tool, you know, five-category contributor at shortstop, especially if he sticks there. I guess that's maybe the question long-term, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Byron Buxton if he sticks around <laughs> or not. And if he ever becomes an everyday major leaguer, right? I guess that's a new conversation. But ultimately, I think that Lewis is, is, is pushing up a stock. You know, if he's a top 10 prospect end of the season, for, especially for fantasy, that wouldn't shock me. Um, he's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to own Royce Lewis wherever I can own him. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think one of the biggest things, too, you look year over year, same level back to back. He's dropped that K rate a good amount, 4%, 4.5% or so. Um, and the walk rate's down a little bit, too, but I think that's more of a blip. But um, I love the improvement at the same level year over year, especially when a guy repeats like this. Like, that's development for me. He's a high school bat. He's kids 18 years old. He's already showing improvement. I think he's obviously going to jump up to high at some point. I'd love to see him get up to Chattanooga this year. That'd be unbelievable in terms of getting him to double A this quickly. But. The skill set's there. I think that this is legitimately, you could get a couple tools out of this. Um, he's been, obviously been playing some short, I think. Um, I mean, we've obviously, I think, talked about him staying up the middle regardless of where he ends up, whether it's in center field or short. I know we had some off-season discussion, Ralph, regarding what the Twins' plans specifically were. I know there were some rumors kicking around that he was playing center field, but he obviously looks like he's playing short long-term. So they're invested in him as a shortstop. I think this could be another one of those guys who, you know, another couple years down the road, he's, he's going to sit inside the top 15 prospects, I think, for a very long time. So I'm super interested to see how the Twins develop him. My number two is actually someone who... I don't know, we probably never talked about it, and I don't think maybe we would have really talked about it until unless I saw him, but this was also in that game that I saw Harrisburg versus Hartford. I saw this kid, Kelvin Gutierrez, from the uh, Harrisburg Senators, who I believe is actually on the Nationals 40-man. He's a, a, a tall, lean guy, righty bat. He's king a ton right now, 27% to 7% walk rate, which isn't too encouraging. Um, but he hit two walls really, really hard that caught my attention in terms of how he was barreling balls and squaring him up. He had a home run and a double both to the left-center gap. Um, off, uh, I don't remember who the pitch was, but I don't think it was anyone particularly good from the yard goats, but um, I liked what I saw in terms of his ability to square up the ball, and it's, the, the issue with him is that there's a lot of barrel and hand movement, like, they, they really need, I think, the Harrisburg player development, or I'm sure they're thinking about this, but in terms of quieting him down, in terms of what he's doing with his bat, because when he's able to make contact, the contact results, from what I saw, are really good. And I really like his swing. I think it's relatively smooth. It's just I think that there might be a blend of how much motion he has and possibly some poor pitch recognition skills, which is obviously what you get at a 27% strike rate in double A. But um, I wouldn't be stunned. I actually think there's a little bit more power to tap into here than maybe some people realize. I think he's only hit a couple between levels, but uh, he had one in the game I saw. And I wouldn't be stunned to see if they kind of change him up a little bit and have him tap into the power I think he has hidden. Um, I'm not really sure what the long-term picture is. It's probably more of a role-player kind of guy, but I always like going to games and getting kind of a, a little bit, you know, encouraged by guys like this who I don't really know about, and then you start to dig into a little bit and see that there's obviously, maybe there's a path to playing time long-term, even if it's uh, a little bit more of a, a wonky one in terms of his defense not being great, and he's probably more of an arm guy than a range fielder at third. But uh, maybe there's hmm. a spot for him long-term, but I didn't really know much about him. I always like pointing out guys like that. Yeah, he's got some baseline skills, and it's just a matter of him sort of honing his uh, baseball ability, right? Yeah. Like sort of those baseline baseline skills. I'm doubling up on the Lewises here, right? We had two Forrests. Now we have two Lewises. <laughs> Kyle Lewis is back. He is back. One of my favorite Man. players from our first annual prospect podcast, first-year player draft that Halp and I did. Lewis was a guy that went almost can you know universally within the top 
three or four picks. Um, might even have gotten one in some of our lists at that point. I mean, this guy was an unbelievable hitter at Mercer during his NCAA days. Um, I know it's not a major conference and all that <laughs> sort of stuff, but he looked phenomenal when he first came into pro ball. Obviously had that catastrophic knee injury, sort of been trying to get back to where he was. Um, 15 games in over the last 10, he's really started to get going. He had a two homer game on Monday over his last 10. He's hitting 315, 350, 557. Um, I believe he's played in all games consecutively, which is a great sign. Hopefully his knee can sustain some health. He can finally heal, feel good, get a nice promotion to double A within the next couple of months, and then maybe touch triple A by the end of the year, maybe even get a September call up if he continues to hit hit for power, hit for contact. That's what we always saw with Kyle Lewis. I don't know if we're going to get the speed that he once had. That that part of his game may, may not come back for a few years. Obviously, uh, in this day and age, he had a relatively complicated knee uh, surgery and recovery, which I don't think you necessarily see all that often. I think we sort of take for granted how many of these guys come back from knee procedures and, you know, and surgeries and, and catastrophic injuries to, to, to ligaments. And they come back and they sort of get back to where they were. Not everybody's like that. There are some guys that are going to struggle. Um, I'm hoping that Kyle Lewis is finally on the road to a full recovery and we get to see the player that we all sort of dreamed on a couple of years ago. So far, the, the signs have been really, really encouraging through the first couple of weeks. Yeah, the knock on him has always just been the health. I think that everyone kind of understands the tools, yeah. especially on the bat. And I'm he's an exciting prospect. I really, really was high on him, I think, probably about maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, when I did one of my first prospect lists. I was, I was, I think I had him probably top 30. He was kind of one, one of the guys I call like my guys in terms of the guy maybe I bought into a little bit more than others. But he's had a run-in with knee injuries, so... I just really hope those don't come back up. I'd be interested to see. I like that. It does look like I was looking at his game log quickly. He's played one, two, three, four, five, five games in a row, and then possibly an off day. So I'm maybe that was just a day off for the team itself. But it's good that they're rolling him out there every day, and he seems to be producing consistently. He had a two-homer game on the 28th, which was a couple days ago too, which is great. Um, yeah, Kyle Lewis definitely want to keep on. He's probably a little bit... Um, He's a little, probably even a little bit too advanced for Modesto, honestly, for, for in, the, in the Mariners system. Hopefully DePoto doesn't deal him <laughs> as we near the trade deadline. That's my that's my hope. The, the, the Mariners need all the help sure. they can get. So, uh. <laughs> well, I think they wanted to build him back up, get him some confidence, get him hitting, get him hitting in the Cal League, get him a little bit more time at that level, um, and then you know, and then boost him up to. Uh, up to double A. So be interesting to see what they do with Lewis. I, I'm a big fan. Who is your number three, Lance? My number three is someone who over the last couple of days, I've been trying to figure out how to say the last name. of I think I finally have it down. Is it? Sh- oh, see, I'm going to mess it up. It's Mike Shawarin. I think that's how you say it. I thought it, it was yeah, Shawarin. Shawarin. Okay, perfect. I thought it was Shaw. And then I was I, looking I at love, it differently in terms of the yeah. syllables. Oh, it was a rough, rough Ever go. Since- Ever since the Red Sox took him in 2016 out of Maryland, I've been a big fan. He had a great sophomore year and kind of struggled his junior year at Maryland. Um, but yeah, I love I love his arm slot, right? He almost like yeah, he's, he's almost lower it's three quarters, almost side, side arm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really low if you're gonna call it three quarters, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's it one definitely. of those times where like it's not quite sidearm, but it kinda is. <laughs> Keep going about your him. Yeah, no fan. problem. No problem. Yeah, I actually saw him on Wednesday night. I actually went up and saw him. My last looks, Ralph, at, at Vlad and Bo in New Hampshire probably for forever, honestly, because I don't think I'm going to be able to get I back up there. Going, I thought you were going to go tomorrow. Oh, that's Hartford, Hartford, though. Hartford, Hartford tomorrow, yeah. So that's Hartford Altoona. But but Schwarren, I got to look at it. It was actually good because I feel like 
I feel like it, when you're trying to like actually get looks at decent pitchers, it, it is literally the mercy of when they're starting and how the games line up with the obviously availability with everyone having stuff going on. And this was a good one. I just kind of scooped the tickets and I wanted to go see him one more time and it happened to be Schwarren. So um, he went six innings, four hits, two earned, and seven strikeouts. Um, and all that damage really came in the first inning. He had, I think he gave up a single and then he gave up a two-run home run to Kevin Biggio, actually, um, in that first inning. So basically from the second inning on, he was five innings, two hits, no walks, and I think six or seven strikeouts all came in that backloaded half. So he settled in, obviously, very quickly. Um, as you said, yeah, it's, it's basically full sidearm. He's a heavy, heavy sink on his fastball kind of guy. He's using his changeup a ton, which is actually a relatively hard changeup in terms of how he used a velocity differential on it. But he's gets a pretty good amount of whiffs on it, too. So I've been noticing, obviously, there's been exceptions. Everyone talks about that 7 to 10 mile per hour difference between your fastball and your changeup. Being in that lower window of that, that around the 70, generally results in more ground balls. If you're in the 10% window, that could, when you get more whiffs. Obviously, there's exceptions. I've noticed of late a lot more exceptions when I was doing a, an article for Rasball on um, on Chris Archer, I noticed this, but with Schwarz, he's that pitch is relatively hard. I didn't see too much of the slider usage that I know he does have, which is I think a little bit of a lower 80s pitch. But um, but he looked really good. I thought his command was decent. The thing that I think is I heard the knock on him um, was the high effort delivery. I actually kind of thought about that for a while, and I came in with that precedent as I was looking at him. I don't think it's necessarily high effort. I, I think that we generally tend to associate higher effort with shorter guys, where Schwarn, Schwarn's build is he's got a pitcher's build. I think he's a, yeah. it's a really good frame. I don't think he's too, too tall. He's not too, too short. It's just, it's good. It works for, for pretty much what he does. Thick in the middle. Thick in the middle. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Thick in the middle. I think he's probably like 6'2", 220 or something like that, if I just ballpark off the top of my head from what I was yeah. seeing. But it's a high effort delivery. It comes off as a high, high effort delivery because of how heavy his back leg is in terms of his drive. It's not really rotational at all. It's a really hard push push off the rubber and that's where um he probably generates a lot of his velocity in terms of um generating the energy in his lower half and able to translate that up to his his upper body but it works relatively well specifically because it, you might call it high effort but generally when i think high effort again i think of almost poor command off of high effort and schwarren's been able to kind of utilize his command relatively well across multiple levels this is his first year up in portland double a and um, I thought his command was fantastic in this. I don't think the back leg kind of deters that too much. I know there's been some rumblings that maybe he ends up as a bullpen arm. I could kind of see that. I don't think the upside is anything above a three, personally. I think it probably is more like a four if I had to peg it. But I also think that it's a, it's a relatively high floor in terms of what he's able to offer. I think that he's probably he's going to coast, I think, through double A. I'd love to see him up at triple A by the end of the year. And then maybe even mm. next year late, getting some starts at the Major League Club. But um Again, yeah, I was I was a big fan of him. I think that it's again, it's a nice floor. I don't think the ceiling's too too high, but I like what he's able to do with his sinking fastball. It's and he's he's actually I was reading a report that he's he's been elevating kind of a forcing fastball a little more just to change eye level um as he gets up to the higher levels of the minor leagues. And I did see him do that a couple times. I think he pumped like ninety three, ninety four on a uh, on a forcing fastball, whereas the the two seamer kind of sits in that ninety one and ninety three window. So I was pretty impressed with Schwarren. Um, I don't think, again, the upside's probably not insanely high, but it's a nice floor. I think he's a relatively good arm out of Maryland, too. Yep. Yeah, and they have a they have a, a lack of arms in their system and just a, lot, a lack of arm development uh, dating back for years. I mean, there's not a ton of guys. The Red Sox produced a ton of hitters, it seems like, over the years, um, even dating back to guys like, you know, Brandon Moss, who I don't think anyone necessarily thought was going to be, you know, anything and turned into a pretty decent major leaguer. Yeah. And I'm going way back on that, but... They haven't produced a lot of arms. They really have not produced a ton of talented arms. Schwarren looks like somebody that's uh, going to be a, a decent discount pick for him. You know, they got him in what the fourth or fifth round. I think he was a fifth uh, rounder. Yeah. 
yeah, a few years ago, and uh, he looks like he, at least at the minimum he's going to be able to fill sort of a a setup role or or you know a multi inning kind of guy, uh, maybe your your long guy or mop up guy. That's if you know sort of floor there. But I think you know he does have an opportunity to potentially be a starter. I want to uh, move on to a, a really big guy here. We went with uh, we went with the Lewises. I had my Allen. We had the Forest sandwich. Now we have another giant, <laughs> kind of like Forrest Whitley. That's O'Neill Cruz. Uh, playing for West Virginia, which is the low A affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he was, of course, one of the guys that came back from the Dodgers uh, in the Tony Watson trade. I think that was what last year. And uh, he's really interesting. He's a for- former shortstop. He's playing mostly third base now, but I think everybody, because of the 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 six six frame, he's very you know tall and sort of lanky. Figures he's going to end up at first base <laughs> or in a. Uh, you're, you're right, Lance. Yeah, you're going to die on me. Right? I think I think I moved the mic away far enough. Hopefully. Nice, <laughs> nice. Now, Continue with now, Cruz. Now I now I hope they heard it because I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> But anyway, Cruz, I think might end up like, you know, a, a corner outfielder or, you know, or a first baseman, but he's been tapping into the power a little bit more. The numbers have looked really good. He sort of, he only had like a 10 game sample. Maybe I'm talking off the top of my head. I want to say the number sticks out as 12. Maybe it's a 12 game sample last year at the same level um, post trade. And, and I don't know, you know, now that he's repeating the level or if it's just the fact that, you know, he's only 19 years old. It's, this isn't a guy that turns, 20 until uh, early October. Um, so there's a lot of development to go. So he's right along the right path. So far, he's slashing 273, 345, 483. He's got seven homers, uh, three steals. Obviously, due to the size of the guy, got a ton of raw power. Absolute ton of raw power. 60. I've even heard some people whisper that it might be, and they said it to me very quietly, uh, that it was a 70, <laughs> 70 raw power out of this kid's bat. Um, and I think seven homers and sort of the numbers translating as a 19 year old at that level, um, that is, that is pretty good. And especially considering he's such a monster with athleticism, obviously due to the size, there's some holes in that swing. There's some stuff that guys, at the upper levels are going to be able to exploit, but he's had some good development here. He's made it a huge step forward. He was a really interesting kid, uh, in that, I think 2014 or 2015 J two class. I want to say he was in the same class as Vlad jr. If I'm not mistaken. And Ooh. the fact that he's 19, that would probably make some sense. He's only about five or six months older than Vladdy. Um, but O'Neill Cruz, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add on him. Like I said, um, you know, he hits from the left side, has some power, obviously a big, long swing. Um, but he's a big, long dude. Yeah, no, I can't say I knew too knew too much about him honestly before he popped the money. Check him here. out. Um, yeah, he's an interesting one in 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 uh, dynasty leagues that he should be owned. In any any league that has like two hundred prospects or more, or you're looking for an upside guy, I'd say go at O'Neill Cruz. See what happens. And you said he's a shortstop. He was a shortstop, past tense, six six, one seventy five, shortstop. Yeah, he was a freaky. shortstop, and <laughs> I think he's just playing third this year. I'd have to check on his page, but I believe that he's played nothing but third base thus far. He's in actually West played Virginia. nothing but short. Wow. Really? Yeah, 45 games at short. short. Yeah, that's what Fangraph says. Jesus. Wow, 6'6 huh? six, six oh, at shortstop wow. seems insane. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, 387 innings. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, well, he learn some new day. Playing, uh, he played a ton of games last year for the Dodgers and the at Pirates. Third, yeah. Third. And I, I, I guess I sort of took it for granted. I mean, huh? Yeah. No, no, no worries. That's funny. It yeah. looks like, there I mean, uh, Fangrass page has him. I haven't watched him play in the field, to be honest with you. <laughs> Fangrass page has him as as above average speed right now, too. So, obviously, they have that slowing yeah. down. They, they obviously think the frame's going to fill out in power. It's probably sure. even more. So, 
He's super intriguing. Yeah, I can't say no much about him, so I'm going to dig in. Who knows? Maybe this guy can turn into Aaron Judge. <laughs> you never know. Shortstop Aaron Judge. Do it up. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. Who's my, your number four? My number four is uh, a name familiar to everyone. Kyle Tucker. He is slashing 276, 355, 438 with five home runs. 37 RBIs, six for, I think, six for probably 10 on the bags. I don't remember off the top of my head, but... He's off to a pretty good start, I think. Um, he had a, a the thing that I actually noticed was sifting through his game log specifically. He's had a weird kind of cons- condensed strikeouts in short yeah. periods of time. He has one sh- four strikeout game last week. He actually had this. This is what tipped me off to it when he caved four times. Then I went to look, and he's and, you know the walks. He's walking a good amount. I think he's walking almost more than he ever has around eleven percent of the time. He's striking out a little bit over twenty percent of the time, which is. Perfectly fine. I think that with his approach and how good his hit tool is, that'll stabilize it up through the higher levels of the major. I mean, once he gets to the major leagues as well. But, you know, he had that four strikeout game. He had seven strikeouts over a three game stretch back in April. And then in the second and third game of the season, he actually struck out six times combined in another four strikeout game. So I, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Maybe it's just kind of we often look at things that are. are we expect, you know, if a guy's a 20% striker rate, that once every five at-bats, he's striking out once. But, I mean, obviously, the fact of, of randomness is that you get kind of these condensed games where you're going to strike out a couple times, that's going to bring it up. And then you're going to have other games where you just strike out a ton at all. But I just, it stood out to me. I'm not really sure if that's just kind of standard among most guys. But I thought it was kind of funky because he had a couple stretches too where he didn't strike out at all. So maybe he's facing advanced pitching and he's having trouble with that and, and feasting on the on the worst pitching, which obviously is something I don't think I'm able to split up with the tools we have in the minor league hey. on, on the in the interweb of sorts. But um, his his two homers were against uh, major league veteran uh, Brett Oberholzer. Oh wow! <laughs> and, his, and his port wine stain. Did you realize that he had a big port wine stain in his face? No, I did not know that. I didn't either. I was watching the game and I'm like, oh, that's him. Oh, Whoa. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Googly moogly. Yeah, he pitched for the Phils for a while too, I think. Or he was, maybe, was he in that Ken Giles I think he deal? Came up, I want to say he came up, he might have been. He came up with the Astros. I'm almost positive. Yeah, right? definitely with the Astros. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're now we're on a Brett Oberholzer, right? As we talk about Kyle Tucker. Yeah, Welcome he's to the like Brosley the uh, Kevin Bacon. He's the Kevin Bacon <laughs> yeah. of baseball. Yeah. Brett Oberholzer. Everyone's hit a homer off him, including D. Gordon. <laughs> no, I just I just wanted to bring up Kyle Tucker, though. He's, he's, you know, he's hitting pretty well. I think that this is kind of what we all expected. I want to see him at the major league level. Um, everyone knows about the kind of funk in his swing. I talked to, actually... Uh, a scout who actually scouted for the Astros a while ago down to the winter meetings last year back in December and was asking about Kyle Tucker and at one point you know the organization would be interested in, in adjusting him and the guy said literally just when he fails which he really hasn't done so obviously there hasn't been much adjustment he comes to a guy like Connor Scott Connor Scott is a, a guy expected I think to go in late first round coming up on the MLB draft Monday who um, is a Florida boy very similar went to the same high school playing high school in Florida which same DNA yeah it's funny they're very very similar hitters but the profile I think is a little bit different Scott is a little bit more of his kind of speed contact guy whereas tucker i think has some hidden pop that he's going to tap into with the plus hit tool so yeah. Kyle tucker not much else to say on him but ralph who's your number four who's my number four it's my number five number f- oh i forgot you went first four. i'm oh. down on my number five and i'm not even going to say a whole lot about him i'm going to say christian Kristen stewart toledo detroit tigers prospect i'm going to drop the mic i'm going <laughs> to drop it he is the hero that we need hit his 13th homer the other night I haven't checked. He probably has his 14th by now. I'm going to have to take a look at that. But um, he's been unbelievable he's, he, this season. He's made some drastic improvements in terms of his hit tool and his overall approach. Um, he's always been able to get on base, but I think the big concern is that this was a 30-plus strikeout guy. 
uh, once he got up to the major leagues or even to the upper levels, sort of stayed for a full season. And I know we've sort of questioned why they did that with him, uh, you know, in double A Erie. But so far in triple A, I mean, he looks phenomenal. So it is 13 homers. He's got 30 runs, 34 RBIs, 19.1% strikeout rate, which is his lowest strikeout rate since rookie ball and, and he's maintained his walks. This is a guy that walked uh, 16% and is, is short stay for, I guess, actually not short stay, but the majority of uh, 2016 when he was in high a Lakeland of the Florida state league, uh, he carried that through with a 12% walk rate in double a for a short sample, 10% walk rate throughout last year. He's maintained that while knocking down his strikeout rate uh, in two consecutive seasons from uh, you know, 2014, but he's really made a big jump from sort of those mid 20 numbers, 24, 25, 26% strikeout rate down to 19. He's hitting 286 because of it. And he's got some of the biggest power in all of the minor leagues and particularly triple a. And he's made, he's major league ready. And he's a guy where his team probably is going to give him some opportunity. I was guessing today, probably late June, early July. I'd say if we saw him a week or two before the all-star break, that wouldn't shock me. If they waited until right after the all-star break, that wouldn't shock me either. We are going to see some Kristen Stewart time this summer. Uh, and I think, you know, he's, he's one of these guys that he's just going to, he's going to come in and people are going to be like, why weren't we higher on this guy? Like mm. this guy can rake. This is a 30 homer bat. You know, he's got decent approach. He walks a ton. He takes really good professional at bats. Uh, he fills out a uniform well because he's kind of muscle-bound and strong, and he's a tireless worker. We sort of heard that from Emily Walden. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like the Kristen Stewart guy, so I'm always hammering her about anything you know about Kristen Stewart. What's going on with this? What, do you, what are they saying? You know, when's the feedback? When's he coming up? I feel like, you know, whenever I talk to Emily, that's sort of, you know, the player that I'm asking about. And she sort of, you know, uh, vouched for his work ethic and how hard he's worked, even as like a defender, which has been one of the you know slights in his game, just sort of trying to improve in all areas. And uh, I think, you know, with the results, with the improvements statistically and what we've seen, it makes a lot of sense that that's sort of the powerhouse, the sort of nucleus that's driving all this success is that, you know, great work ethic. And I always want to buy into a kid like that. And I think we talk about Brady Singer. I was watching some SEC stuff on him today. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll probably talk about that a little bit later and some of the things that he does with his training and, you know, even his diet and stuff like that. So I'm always excited to buy into a guy like this. I know his manager, Doug Mankiewicz, uh, of the uh, last out catching the last out Damn, of the uh, world series that uh, broke the curse of the Bambino fame. He is their triple a manager. And Mankiewicz said that he, he is the triple a MVP. I echoed the same sentiments last night on the fan tracks baseball show with Andy Singleton, which le- next week we have Kyle Glazer on. So I'm very excited. I'm going to dig into some prospect uh, uh, talk with you tonight and some draft talk with you tonight. And they're going to talk with Kyle Glazer and then we're going to come back again next week, and I'm going to tell you what Glazer told me. I can't wait. I'm going to listen, listen to catch <laughs> that one. I think that I'm actually doing a little uh, uh, reaction show Monday night after the draft with Andy, so check that out. I think we're going to do that awesome. on Fan Tracks through the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, which I obviously added for. My number five, I'll touch very, very quickly, and then we can jump into some draft stuff. Sure. Um, Pavin Smith, who's a guy I actually liked a lot coming out of Virginia last year. Um He's had a, a really terrible April. I think he was sub 200 in April. He's obviously up a little bit more now, 259 in May, which is still relatively low. He batted about 300 last year for the Diamondbacks, um, up to high A now. Um, the approach is what you get. The approach is what you get with him um, in terms of his production. He's each strikeouts to 12 walks in May. It's one of those things where this is what you're buying into. It's this in the glove. And I, I mean, we talk about this, I think, in the past, Ralph, in terms of these guys. We love these approach guys. 
and then we hope that they can eventually tap into the power. And I think the power, I think that I honestly was probably a little bit higher on power than I ever should have been because I, I just always try to reserve on terms of the fantasy landscape, reserve my judgment on guys who are probably going to end up being average to plus fielders. And if that is sitting at first base, that's going to be, I think, playable even a little bit more than a, than a guy, you know, I feel like the baseline for a fielder is at first base is below average. So if you're average, it's almost like you're plus. It's one of those weird kind of relative things in terms of his defense. And his defense grades out pretty well. I think it will continue to grade out pretty well. I really like his swing, though. This is the thing that I always go back to. He's just super, super back from the left side. I think that there's more power there in terms of his, his barrel path and possibly maybe some slight adjustment going on with that. Um, he's got four home runs. Four home runs now? Wow. I checked earlier today, and that was three home runs. So I want to say maybe he hit a home run in the last day or two, which would be great. <laughs> it, it buys into the Pavin Smith love that I've been feeling a little bit. Yeah, he did hit a home run. Wow. On the 30th, which didn't load when I was last looking at fan graphs. Look at that. So he's got four home runs. Awesome. He's on a hot streak. Yeah, I did it. I did it. <laughs> but yeah, it he's, in, uh, he's in Vasali now um, with the Diamondbacks high. Um, I think the team's actually relatively good to it. I think they got a couple other guys there worth watching. I really hope that, I think the comp I bring up is Josh Bell, even though it's probably terribly wrong because Pavin's a much better defender. But Bell's got a decent approach, and that's kind of what I go back to. Maybe Pavin's even more even and ends up being like a 15K, 11% walk guy with less power, but more average. Sure. So I guess maybe I'm taking the construct of Bell and kind of modulating off it. But um, I like Patton Smith, always have. And I, you know, he's kind of one of the guys that I think I'll always keep an eye on, even if even if the upside is relatively limited in, in terms of what you can get with the advanced college side. Um, it's It whew. sounds like my my Jason Martin to Jackie Bradley Jr. comp. Because sometimes with guys like that, when I'm, yeah, you just I'm like trying think of to them, figure right? out, I'm trying to figure out like, all right, like, you know, who does he kind of remind me of? And I'm focused more on the offensive side of things. And, and yeah. you know, obviously he's Martin is not even in like Jackie Bradley Jr.'s um, stratosphere in terms of defense. Yeah, but no, no, no. it was like that similar, like sort of swing from the left side where it was like compact and like you could see there's some pop there and like some average, but it's more like, you know, like ceiling is like 275 with like 20 homers, 25 homers. And like he has a decent season. But be some mid-tier years, you know. Um, I do that. I don't know. You like funny. take a guy like, and yeah, just like I, I completely like change him. Bradley was a good fit for Jason Martin, but because uh, I'm like, I don't think he's a fourth outfielder. I think he hits enough. He's like a second division regular corner guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because he's one of those guys. I think I think if you number scout, people are really into him and uh, have been for a few years. And I think you know he's hit really well in double a he's only 22 he's 22 for the entirety of the season i guess it's like my six five by five but anyway jason martin is an interesting guy let's (laughs) talk about another interesting guy and that would be kenneth cashman of rotoware fame that'd be rotoware.com that'd be at rotoware on twitter that'd be at rotoware classic you can follow the man the myth the legend the the brains the design the, the inspiration, all of this stuff. He's the guy that folds your T-shirts, too. That would be Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter. He's constantly giving away uh, prizes and, and all types of stuff. T-shirts. He's going to send your kids. Uh, uh, he's going to send your kids to college. He's going to do all this amazing stuff. But most of the time, he's just going to make amazing T-shirts. <laughs> One of them that he's recently put out is uh, with the Rotoware brand, which if you talk about, it's sort of just to differentiate. He's got the the... Other novelty shirts, a lot of them that he's selling through Amazon, partnered with them. Great stuff that obviously is a Prospect Jesus shirt, which I have coming in the mail. A Mahler emoji shirt, a million other shirts. He's got the Faria shirt that I know Jake Faria himself had actually retweeted the other day, commented on Andy's post when he was flashing some new kicks that he got with the Faria shirt. It's kind of like the Ferrari symbol. It's pretty dope. But he's got a new shirt on Rotoware. It's the 1-1 dad shirt. Like your dad was the number one 
overall pick. You heard it from Sully last week. I don't have to bring him back in. He's sleeping in my garage. He got himself drunk. <laughs> We're not going to bring Sully back in this week. But you can use our promo code SAGNOF to get 20% off your purchase. And you can order 1-1 Dad shirts for all the dads in your family. And you guys can take a group picture together, put it on Twitter, tag me, tag Kenny, and I'll give you a retweet. <laughs> That's how you do it. I love it, Ralph. I love it. I'm, I'm also kind of disappointed. So Sully is asleep in your garage. It's only like yeah. 12, thir- Thursday nights. This is kind of like one of the first bar nights. This is where you, you get the weekend going usually. So I figured uh-huh. Sully would be still out at the bar, Ralph. But Sully, you, got, you know. Sully got fired from his job. So Sully's been <laughs> drinking since 7 a.m. You know? <laughs> Jesus, all right. <laughs> Oh, man. No, no, Kenny, Sully's always Kenny getting shirts. fired. He's worked for every supermarket chain in the area. I've been, I've been working for Hannaford. Hannaford. I work for Star. I work for Shaw's, dude. Wasn't uh, hipster enough for Whole Foods, apparently. Nah, they wouldn't hire me. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't like my Larry Bird tattoo. <laughs> it's yeah. on my neck. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised. Let's jump into the draft here. We're gonna go through the ten, but the ten. I guess the top ten, more or less. Yeah. I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to spend a ton of time breaking these guys down because you just go back to the last two shows if you want to hear us really yeah. break these guys down. Maybe we can sort of go through our process and sort of what our thoughts are in terms of our approach with first year player drafts. And and I'll sort of start off here. You know, typically. When I'm making up these lists and I'm going into this, I, I, I want to be somewhat risk adverse. And I certainly want to avoid risky profiles, in particular, like right-handed um, maxed out high school arms, right? They're just difficult guys to chase. Even when you rank them, I feel like they still bite you in the butt. High school players in general are really difficult. I think at some point you sort of got to you got to trust the talent. Um, but I typically lean more toward, especially if you're t- pitch, picking in the top five, I want some established college players that are usually more major league ready. Maybe you're going to lack a little bit on the upside. I'm not so sure that's always necessarily true either, but maybe they're going to lack a little bit on the upside. The other thing that I look for is I look for guys that have a track record, not just in college, but a track record in these big wood back tournaments, whether they're high school players over the course of the summers and some of the showcases or guys that showed well in the Cape Cod league. I know like, you know, uh, uh, Grayson, uh, Janista is a guy that I have really high on my list. I know he's not in your top 10. I have high on my list because he's shown that he can hit with wood. He's got plus plus power. And I, I, I definitely prefer college hitters, sure. power hitters, with a track record of hitting well with wood. That is like my knit. That's my wheelhouse in fully first year player drafts. Um, and it hasn't proved me wrong more often than not. I think that's the right profile to chase. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think that I, I follow very similar logic. And I mean, when I'm looking at our, our first year player draft right here, Ralph, we both have the same top three. So we go yeah. Bohm, Madrigal and Casey Mize. So Bohm's obviously Wichita state third baseman, Nick Madrigal, Oregon state second baseman shortstop. And, um, He'll probably settle in at second base. And then Casey Mize is the right-hander from Auburn. Right. Most most people projected him to go one-one to the Tigers. Um, so that's our trio, and then from there it kind of deviates. But I like your I a hundred percent. I think agree with most of what you're saying in terms of how you're developing lists and stuff. I obviously am going to probably fade most of the high school side. I think that at the same time, though, with some of the high school bats, particularly, that's where you can almost lean into a little bit more of the upside, a little bit more of the hidden upside that I don't know sure. how many people you know off the bat might see we've seen this actually really really good example this is last year in the top 10 we had Royce Lewis and Joe Adele those both those guys right now are kind of the ones that I think of almost 
are, are the presenting names of the 2017 draft to some extent in terms of their production and their hype. Guys like sure. Hunter Green, again, another high school in Mackenzie Gore, obviously. Um, even like Austin Beck, who went above Joe Adele. But those are three guys on the high school side as well that are, I think, a little bit more quiet in terms of their production. But there's often teams in this kind of top 10 window that are going to go towards a, co- a high school bat, maybe a little bit more upside, and there's a good chance that one of them kind of hit. But on the high school arm side of things, it's really tough to, to have any bit of confidence in terms of... Um, you know, how, where the floor is on a high school arm. I think the floor for almost all high school arms is just so low. It's one of those things where if you're going into a first-year player draft, you have to assume that it's going to be a three- to four-year process to get that guy to a point where he's producing at the major league level. And that's with a qualification that you don't even know if it's going to be solid production. You know if it's going to be, you know, the guy maxes out and then ends up being, you know, a max of a three or four in rotation. You don't know if he's going to maintain that ace upside for such an extended period of time where it is a valuable investment to kind of go with a guy like that now. So I completely understand that with that said though i think we have a weird scenario this year where we have so many high school arms that you almost i think create a bit of a baseline with two of them particularly who i have on the back end i i, I have the back i have carter stewart 10 on my list he's a, a right-hander um super super disgusting breaking ball fastball he's been working on the changeup a lot um not a pitch he's really needed to throw too much he's a high schooler he's the guy that i think is in terms of a. Uh, in terms of the appeal, I comp him to a little bit of a, a Mackenzie Gore. And, and this is purely just on the hype itself. Because last year, Gore, everyone loved the mechanics. Everyone loved the pitch mix. It was one of those things where he was a cool kind of hip. He was like the hip pick. And I think that's what's going to happen to Carter Stewart, if I had to guess, this year in a lot of circles. Is that you're going to look at that fastball being you know, almost a 60-70 grade pitch right off the bat. And you're going to just kind of fall in love with that and hope everything else comes together. I think his mechanics are relatively fluid in terms of how he uses them. He's going to put a little more weight. He's going to be able to stabilize. He's a really nice frame at, I think, 6'5", 6'6". So I really like Carter Stewart. He's my 10 on my first-year player draft. But um, that's just kind of the spiel on the high school side of things with the arms. Matt Liebertor is another guy, obviously a lefty, a little more polished, a little more pitchability. But I don't know if the upside is as high. And if I'm looking at a high school arm, I want to make sure that upside is high. And I believe Carter Stewart does have the upside of a, of a number two or an ace in a rotation. And I think that that is going to hold some value for it. But that's specifically addressing the high school side of things. Just because this draft is so high school heavy in terms of the arms particularly. But on the bat side of things, you can obviously tell me and Ralph both had Bowman Madrigal 1-2. Um, it looks like, Ralph, you have Jonathan India at four, and then you go to two high school bats and Nolan Gorman and Jared Kalenic at five and six. I go Jared Kalenic four, Nolan Gorman five, and then India six. So, again, very similar trio. We're kind of just mixing it up in terms, in terms of who we're preferring. I'm going Kalenic four. I kind of like him in terms of just being able to be one of the few, actually, outfielders in this draft who I think could blow up in terms of what he's able sure. to do with the bat. On the hit tool side, on the power side, I think he's got a decent enough arm to play a uh, premium position. He's able to go gap to gap and stay uh, probably, I would guess, relatively even with splits and not have too many massive issues versus lefties. Whereas you look at a guy like Gorman with almost 70 power right off the bat, he's probably going to have some issues with left-handed pitching and some of the holes in his swing breaking balls away are going to probably be trouble for him. But the power is so good, and I don't really think there's anyone else on this list who has immense power and maybe India is kind of on the fringe of that but I think India is almost the guy where you kind of again you get kind of lower ceiling higher floor which again if you want to go with that you want to go with the stability I would almost guarantee India is at the major league level if they both get there Nolan Gorman and Jonathan India India is going to get there before Gorman I just think Gorman's been one of my guys for a while I really like him and I know he's thickened out this is the thing that everyone kind of brings up and it's been a popular theme in terms of a lot of the Gorman analysis I've heard but even with that thickening out I still go back to what he's able to do with fastballs inside how he's able to turn mm-hmm. 
then that perfect game home run that I always go back to is something that uh, it stands out to me in terms of that bat speed, and I really like Nolan Gorman. So I go Kalenic 4, Gorman 5, India 6, Ralph, you go India 4, Gorman 5, Kalenic 6. Any thoughts on kind of that trio? I don't think we have to talk too much, I think, about Bo, Magical, and Ma. It's just because we agree on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the, the biggest thing is Madrigal has sort of been a riser. And I think we both sort of believe that the overall baseline skill set, he's not going to be, I think everyone says this guy is going to be an impact back. And I heard someone talk about this the other day. Maybe it was Jim Callis. And he is like, just because he's not a 25 homer guy doesn't mean that he's not going to hit for average. He's not going to score a lot of runs. I mean, he's a guy that's going to be sort of a spark plug at the top of a lineup, give you a lot of good counting stats, give you some speed as well. And it's going to have a really high floor and he's going to play in the middle infield. And I think is going to be ready relatively quickly. Could even touch the major leagues in 2019. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he went full Alex Bregman. But um, when it comes to four, five and six, I'm just going with a little bit more established here. I like India. I like what he's done. Um, Big program, big expectation. He's played in some big games. And I just I like the swing. I think I've I think I've gone on record a few times now that Jonathan India's swing is one of my favorites in this in this draft. It's compact, it's powerful, um, and I think he's going to be a good power, you know, right-handed power pull hitter. So it'll be interesting to see what what we get from from India where he ends up. Uh, hope, hopefully, it's not with a really bad organization. With we've been going back and forth to sort of naming some of those. Um, and I went Gorman over Kalenic just because Gorman has the standout tool of the power. For me, these guys could be sort of swapped, you know, exactly as we had them. You could have Kalenic five and Gorman six. You could have, you know, like it, it really doesn't matter. I think they're sort of interchangeable at the spot, very equal in terms of value. They all have their their knocks. You know, they all have the things that you like about them and, and, and obviously their strengths. I think Kalenic probably might have the highest baseline of tools across the board, which might give him the highest upside if everything really does max out. Um, but we've also been fooled by some of the guys like Kalenic before, but I'm hoping the sure, fact sure. that he's a cold weather kid, he's got a, a lot to develop on. Uh, as for Gorman, he's got that power. Maybe the body is getting a little bit worse, but he's also playing a high school ball. Let's get him into a professional organization, hopefully a good organization, one that can sort of uh, hone him and get him re- really working on his body. We've seen guys with bad bodies sort of remake them. Alex Reyes has a new body, but of he course does. he was then freaking injured. Now but, he needs hey, a new lap. <laughs> I know, but at least he's past 50 innings now. And uh, I don't have to say it again. I know that, uh, that, uh, Connor Kirkon of uh, six man rotation. had said that on Twitter today. I thought it was a really good line, but <laughs> let's go, let's go through sort of the rest of yeah. our top tens here. It's and then maybe name some names and, uh, kind of go from there. Like I said, I don't think we have to go bananas breaking stuff down no. and we're, we're probably already getting close to an hour at this point anyway. Yep. Yeah. We're a little over that, but I know I agree. I'll run through my, <laughs> my, my seven, eight, nine, ten here. I go Brady Singer, seven, which is an interesting one. In terms of valuation here, I almost just wanted to toss in, like, another arm. I don't know why. I just, like, I I know we always both kind of prefer bats. I don't think you go back to an arm, Ralph, on your list until 12 with Brady Singer. I go with him at seven. I I get that there's obviously the thing that everyone keeps tossing around with Brady Singer and the the terrifying hyper-abduction of his arm, and everyone thinks it's going to blow up eventually. I actually was on a podcast last night talking with a good friend of mine, Rich Burford from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, about this particularly, and we both kind of came back to the fact that he still, at the end of the day, is in a really, really advanced fastball slider combination. I know there's people who like Jackson Coar, his Florida teammate a little bit more, who's a taller frame, more of a change-up guy, a guy that I, I comp a little bit to Michael Walker just in terms of his mechanics and how he kind of probably has sure. to engage his lower half a little bit more. But Brady Singer right now is a guy, again, you go back a couple months and he was number one pick in this draft. 
and obviously there's been some concerns. I think he's pitched relatively well. He's had a lot of success at varying levels, too. He pitched in, I believe, the College World Series last year. I just really like him. I think that in terms of a, if you're, you're raising the floor with a college arm as opposed to maybe putting a guy like Carter Stewart, 7, and 100% buying in on him. I'm a little more comfortable kind of maybe going Brady Singer, 7, and then tossing sure. in my my number 8 is Travis Swaggart. He's a South Alabama bat, who hasn't really performed, I think, too, too well in varying things. But I'm just, I, I kind of I went with him there. I'm not really sure why. I just think the baseline of tools there is better than maybe some. I think that maybe on the defensive side of things, he's a little bit better, which is probably if I had to reassess this list, I might bring in a guy like Trevor Larnock, who I believe you have at 7, Ralph. I think that's a pretty nice rank of him there. In terms of just the bat, he's another Oregon State bat. Obviously plays with Nick Madrigal. A little bit more of a power side of things. I know there's a lot of people like him and the power hits will combination as opposed to going with a guy like Swaggerty. He might be a little bit more of a... I know a lot of people kind of comp him out to it, just a prototypical leadoff hitter and hoping that he could be a prototypical leadoff hitter. But uh, honestly, that's changed a little bit in terms of how we're looking at that leader, leadoff hitter nowadays. In terms of being a little bit higher on the OBP, almost like a Brett Gardner type, but to be able to have some pop at the end of the day. And I think that's what Swaggerty could become. So maybe not as tantalizing as a guy like Gorman, who you could eventually see maybe sitting in that four spot of most lineups and hitting 30, 35 home runs if everything clicks. But I go, again, Singer 7. I like the baseline of that fastball slider, even if they still were kind of working on his third pitch. I'm a little more comfortable going with a college arm in most scenarios. So I go Singer 7, Swaggerty 8, and then Joey Bartroff, who I don't think you have anywhere inside your top 20. And this is one I struggled with a lot in terms of just because I hate catchers so much. Honestly, I do. I just I don't want to touch catchers. Him. I won't draft him. I just, he'll he'll probably, tough. I'll have to see him. He'll probably be within my top 20. Uh, I'd say I'll probably move him up a few spots, but sure. I felt like there were, there's a lot of good hitters outside of like, I'll say the top 25 that you're seeing in a lot of um, lists from like 25 to like 50. There's a whole group of hitters that are sort of in there, high school and college guys that are really interesting. You know, guys like uh, Tristan Cassis, uh, Jordan, uh, Groshans, uh, Nick Schnell, who is, is a really yep. interesting guy. Um, even like Nico Horner, who, who has had absolutely, um, unbelievable exit velocities have been sort of read, uh, throughout the, you know, from scouts, uh, throughout their looks on him this year, simply like Jake McCarthy, you know, Swaggerty. I, I'm not going to give up on, on Nader DeSatis, um, you know, switch hitter. He's developing, he's got power. Maybe there's not a lot of speed there. And I think that sort of knocks him down a little bit. I think if he had the speed, I might even have him in my top 10. Um, and then even a guy like Noah Naylor or Grayson Janesta, like there's just, there's a lot of hitting talent in this draft. It's just not top heavy. Like the 2015 draft was, or even last year with like Lewis and Adele and Beck and some of those guys that were in like the top 10 to 15. I think it's more like 15 to like 35. I think the Royals are going to get some really talented those guys. Are, that is the most interesting pick of the five, draft. Six. Yeah. yeah. That that little combo in the mid tier there with uh with the Rays and the Royals is super super interesting in terms of what they're gonna do. Yeah. Um, the thing with Bart for me is just you know when I look at this draft how I kind of split it up in terms of valuation is like once you hit once you hit like ten and you start to get into all these arms like Carter Stewart, Matt Liebertor, Cole Wynn, all the even some of these high school arms just the the pure upside and the talent level I think is where you get a large chunk of those high school arms and then you separate that out and then you get into guys like. Uh, like you have like Tristan Cassis, even Steely Walker, who is a personal favorite of mine from Oklahoma. I like him a lot. Even to say this, and you got Swaggerty a little bit lower, but Nico Horner and some of these other guys. I just don't think, I think that they almost baseline out, and I know I hate taking arms. Like just in pure value in terms of what I'm going after, 
um, in real life, because I think there's just some translation back in terms of the upside side of things. Um, I think a guy like Tristan Cassis is maybe a little bit limited in his size. I know there's probably a baseline of power there that maybe makes his floor a lot higher than some others. But um, Joey Bart, for me, I've thought about this a lot. I hate catchers, but I think that what he has, I, I just, I've gotten to the point almost where I'm, I'm almost interested in projecting him out to like 20, 25 home runs and saying that there isn't a lot of variance and just saying, you know, you're going to get, it's a top eight catcher. And I know that that might not be a lot of differential, but I think that the baseline of it is, is basically what you're going to get from a lot of these other guys. Like I think that Cassis and some of these other guys, like I might just honestly go at the catcher in that case. I know this is a terrible argument I'm making. I'm basically just trying to say that I like Joey Bart's probably swing enough to maybe pass up on the catcher side of things. But I, okay. I know I hate catchers. So obviously, if you put me under the gun and you have me picking nine in a draft, and my eight go off the board, break singer, swagger, all these guys go off the board. I don't even even. I don't. I can't even tell you I'm taking Joey Bart, but I have him ranked at nine right you now. You take Noah Naylor. I, I was so shocked that Noah Naylor wasn't in your top ten. I know 10. he's right on the fringe. Uh, all the, they're gonna, yeah. I'm now going to be the new favorite person at the collegiate baseball <laughs> network because we I have Noah Naylor nine overall, and my man Lance does not. I just I want know. to remind everybody about that. <laughs> really yeah, interesting I, I think your yeah. point is well made. I guess maybe my other concern with Bart is the fact that he is a catcher and they wear it out a little bit. Yeah. College catchers take a little while. Like as good as Zach Collins, you know, was in college as a hitter, it's taken a long time as for him to sort of develop as a catcher. And I think it's sort of curved his development a little bit as a hitter. He's kind of finally rounding that corner with the numbers that he's had of late. And I tweeted it out the other day with the numbers where you can go back and look at that. Not going to recite it right now. Um, Bart has a lot more going for him in terms of the baseline as like an actual future major league catcher defensively. Yeah, I agree. All that sort of stuff. He is the makeup side of things. I don't know if his bat was as good at Collins. That remains to be seen. If he ends up in San Francisco, it absolutely curbs his value. It, it hurts his value. It does. It I agree. Does. I agree. Especially with, you know, his upside being sort of power. Where like if Nick Madrigal ended up in, in, in San Francisco, I don't think it hurts his value a ton. I really don't. If Casey Mize is in San Francisco, it probably boosts his value yeah, a ton. Yeah. And some of the other arms that are there. So I think it's a lot of his park dependent and team dependent. Obviously, these guys can get traded away and all of a sudden it boosts up. So maybe at the end of the day, it's a good reason to sort of look at baseline talent. But it's also one of the reasons that my real first year player draft ranks don't come out until I've seen these guys in pro ball, I've seen what the organization is doing with them. Yep. And, you know, we've just seen some sample of something of substance. So. Uh, that's one way to look at it. I wanted to just sort of mention I'm very power heavy at the back end of my top 10. I think my number 10 could probably swap with pretty much anywhere from 10 to like 16, 17. I agree. I agree. Yep, yep. Yep. On my list. But I have Trevor Larnock. I just, I believe in the profile. The numbers have been uh, excellent this year. He's one of the, you know, the big members of that uh, Oregon State team. It's been prolific over the last few years in terms of their dominance uh, in, in the NCAA and the Pac 12. Uh, he's size 324, 447, 637, uh, had 50 strikeouts to 40 walks this year, which I think is an absolutely great number there. 17 homers, 64 RBIs, really impressive numbers, really good stuff there. It's a 15% walk rate, 90% strikeout rate. Um, I'll deal with the strikeouts be- because he has the walks, and 19 isn't a number that I'm kicking myself out uh, over either. Um, not the most athletic guy, but you know, he is an outfielder. I don't think he's going to get moved to first base. I think he can be a corner guy, corner guys with power like that and on base ability. That's my cup of tea. So, uh, I think it's why I have him seven and 
I'm just hoping he doesn't go full Brett Rooker on me. I think the fact that he <laughs> walks a little bit more than Rooker, I'm going to buy into. And I think he's a guy that could potentially uh, gain some steam over the summer if he comes out of the gate and hits really well. And he seems exactly like the type that's going to come out the gate and hit really well in rookie ball. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's a really good point, too, is we have time before we can solidify these first-player draft lists. So sure. they're going to change after the draft once we see who falls and why they yep. might fall and then reasoning behind that. And then we get to see some pro ball. Obviously, some of these guys, if they're advanced enough, I think some of these college hitters here, obviously, we might even see it jump up to full season relatively quickly, um, depending on how they they. They, how deep they go, obviously, in the College World Series or in the regionals, etc., or conference tourneys and stuff. So, very interesting on that. Um, the one question I actually just wanted, maybe you close out this, Ralph, just on high school arm. So, your first high school arm, it looks like, if I'm just seeing this correctly, is, is 17 cars, Stewart. It um, is. I, I think that's relatively interesting. I like that in terms of being really conservative around them. Um, I, I'm interested to see how that compares to like a guy like Nico Horner or Jake McCarthy, even like Schnell in that window as well. Just because we know like off the bat, like the talent of Carter Stewart is greater than those guys. It's just a matter of like it might take so long to actualize. Was what was your thought process, I guess, kind of around like where to put the first high school arm? Because I mean, like I think you'd probably agree that like Carter Stewart is more pure skill side talented than like a guy like Horner or McCarthy or Schnell or at Groshans even. But it's just there's so much risk there. It's one of those things like what was your thought process around where to put him on kind of this this preliminary yeah. rest list? And I want to say that I think Jake McCarthy would be rated much higher on a lot of lists had he not been injured to start the season. Um, I think, you know, he had a wrist injury. He I think he missed third. Uh, uh, oof, how many games did he miss this year? I want to say it was like 20. Like it was I think probably right around like that. Yeah. 15 or 16 games. Um but he's a really exciting player. He's not all that different, actually, from 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 Adam Hazley, I think, in a little bit. But it's a guy with a track record with Wood as well. So I just think he's going to translate well, and he could be a guy that we're maybe sleeping on a little bit. Um, is this are the skills better with a guy like Stewart? Absolutely. But dude, I traded for Alex Reyes yesterday, and then he freaking hurts himself. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of risk. Suck. A lot of risk. Pitchers suck, and you're better off investing in arms. I mean, if you were a guy like me that had invested heavily in the draft a couple of years ago, like I didn't draft any of these arms and I ended up with the guys like Bo Bichette. And there's a guy that went in the forties, you know, and there were some people that had some questions on whether Bichette was going to translate. And we've seen how those guys jump hitters jump when they come to the pro ball. There aren't a lot of pitchers that immediately come out, push, push through the minors. The guys that do that are typically like command control guys, like an Eric Lauer or a Shane Bieber. It's, it's not, the best pitchers. They take a few years to marinate. You know, we kind of waver on him like Sixto, who's like phenomenal the last couple of starts now. Yeah. After yeah. We're kind of like, eh, he doesn't look great. I know. And now the, I was, I was now the strike almost. comes there. You know, he hurt us, man. He hurt us. He knows, he knows what's going on. I mean, we know, we know Boba Shett watches the baseball show. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shout out. There you go. But no, I, I think that sometimes we don't know how good some of these arms are. We get looks on them. We know that they're raw. But, I think we're influenced by the industry and we're influenced by the industry in a couple different ways. We're influenced by the baseball industry, the scouting industry itself and the way that they evaluate talent and what has the most value, which is guys up the middle, which is pitchers, which is catchers, which is why those guys go higher in the draft. They're not necessarily the players are going to translate the best to fantasy. And I'm looking at guys with standout skill sets, power on base ability, um, excellent bat speed. Uh, you know, I could see him growing into this. He's got a, a well-rounded skill set. 
that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for when I'm reading scouting reports and I'm watching video. Like Nader DeSantis is a guy that like there's a lot of scouting reports that are really negative on him. But when I watch yeah. him and I, I see that he's made progress over the last year with that swing from the left side, and he's a true switch hitter, and they think they can develop him that way. It's like, all right, well, you may have to sit on him for two years, and it might be a struggle. But if he comes out the other side of it, a better player and a more talented guy, and he's able to tap into more of that, that's going to translate a lot quicker. That's a player you're going to be able to get a better return on in trade value or just potential value your team in a few years than a pitcher, which I think those guys have to go through fire. And sometimes they have to suck for a couple of years in the majors and we have to quit on them before they finally get to the right spot. I feel like that's a less likely narrative with a lot of these talented hitters. Now, everybody's going to bust There's exceptions to every rule, but pitchers are risky in any situation. Right-handers, like I said, right-handed high school kids are super risky. We like Mackenzie Gore. I mean, Think about how much his stock has dropped in fantasy baseball trade return value. Not necessarily real-world value. I don't think owners are jumping off the ship, but but take a step back for a second and think about how much value Gore has lost between March 31st and today. Yeah. Just because of blister problems, a kid in the Midwest League with super cold in some of these starts, you know, more or less a year ago, he's pitching his high school competition before going in the draft. And we're just taking the small sample size and we're going crazy with it. And that happens more with pitchers than I think it does with hitters. I think we're able to settle into like, Hey, this guy's in a slump, but then he can get hot because he plays every day. And we could sort of see a sample in like a week and be like, Oh shit, he hit three homers. Like he's getting going again, you know? Um, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to, market value for pitchers and me just trying to advise people not to take the bait as good as a pitcher may look. Don't be the guy that chases them. There's plenty of pitchers every single year that you can add in your dynasty leagues for pretty much nothing or in the later rounds, of your first year player drafts and they end up being just as good. You could have drafted Dennis Santana this year in your first year player drafts. I know in a lot of my deep dynasty Santana was available I think you traded me Santana as a throw-in. I did, yeah. I took over the Mets. I you know, turned around, traded him to somebody else as a throw-in. So there you go. Um, you could have got Eniel De Los Santos for really cheap money this year. You could have gotten Shane Bieber for pretty much nothing in most leagues this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just gave you three pitching prospects that are pretty decent. And I'm not even mentioning guys um, you know, like a Sixto Sanchez that if you're in on them early – and rookie ball, and you read a good scouting report earlier than anybody else in your league from Baseball America, or maybe I'm giving it to you. Who knows? But with <laughs> some of those lower minors guys, you know, it's maybe it's Jason Woodell at the game, and he tells you about this guy, and you're able to jump on him a lot earlier than anyone else in the league. I'd rather do that when I'm chasing my pitching staff. If I'm going to invest in picks, I want to try to get some return on that investment. I want to try to get some value initially, even if it's coming out of the draft value. And then in the offseason, I'm able to make some trades. So a lot of it's strategic with me. I'm always trying to think of, you know, what am I really going to do? Like if I'm there at the draft table, I got to talk myself out of that urge sometimes to take a pitcher. Like you said, you, yeah. you must want to rank. It's tempting to go with Stewart. That's why I, I want I, I want to rank Matthew Levator like 11. Yeah. But I, I just, I know that it's not, it's not the right approach. You got to trust the process. And my process is always hitter over pitcher. You can find pitching. I mean, I'm lo- I'm looking at like my my uh, my baseball prospectus league with all those guys. You know, the the Devils Rejects yep. League. I got a ton of hitters. I built all around hitting. I traded away hitting to get more hitting. 
you know, that's just a little bit more advanced and condensed players, you know, you know, more or less, you know, into a single guy from two or three prospects into like Bregman or someone like that. And I added pitchers. I added young guys, young pitchers, and we drafted guys like Skaggs. We drafted guys like uh, Jake Junis. They were readily available in a 20-team league where everybody knows their stuff. So Mm -hmm. I just think that, yeah, there's aces, and you want to go out and you want to try to chase those guys every so often. Fine. If that's the one guy you ever pay for in your team is your ace and you're able to find these discount guys, that's that's perfect. I think the rule in terms of not chasing aces that Gray always sticks with – I actually don't necessarily agree with that in RCL formats or in 12 team leagues. I 100% agree with that in dynasty leagues, especially when it comes to prospects, don't chase prospect aces. You're usually going to end up losing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I hear you out there too. And I mean, just looking at last year's board too, two overall Hunter green results haven't been good. Mackenzie Gore, blister problems, three overall Brendan McKay's kind of in that two way scenario. He's pitched relatively well. I'd say that's probably one of the few that's, Return pretty well. Kyle Wright's already up to double ice. This is another guy who's a Vandy arm, fast mover. Um, I think he's walking. And, and a he's good been amount. up and down. Yeah, yeah he's been exactly, up and down. He had a exactly. great performance the other night, but he's had some other performances where you're like, is this guy even like a top five pitching prospect in the system? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> a good point. And then you got Shane Baz, a 12 high school arm. The the timetable for him is going to be insane. Trevor Rogers, another high school arm. Timetable is going to be insane. Pitched yet, yeah. yeah, hasn't pitched yet. And Bukaskis, another one. Kind of there's a relief risk there. Yeah. Clark Schmidt had a. He was actually drafted, I believe, with Tommy John. I think he just came back. Or is coming back? I know I saw something kick yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, he's coming back. Him. It's just one of those things. Like Alex Fayeto too. Another, he went 18. He fell. He had up weird knee problems. Another guy that's up and down. Has good yeah. stuff at times. Still gets. Still will leave something over the plate and get hit. Beat up for a homer. Gave up one tonight. I yeah. I know. I agree with you. And I think that again, like this is again, this draft is relatively weird in terms of how much pitching is available and how much of it. I think a lot of people are baselining out to be relatively good, especially on the high school side of things. I think yeah. in a couple of years, this is going to be a very, very interesting draft to look back on. Five years down the road, looking back at this draft and seeing where all these pitchers are sitting and seeing if we're running into another list where we're going down and we're looking at eight guys and maybe two of them are good. Or if we're looking at lists where we're like, huh, was this a year where everyone figured out how to develop high school arms or how to grade out high school arms to figure them out? And I don't know. I don't think it is, but I think it's, I think there's just a plethora of them makes honestly the bats probably a little more valuable, especially on the polished side with these top bone magical, uh, India, you know, those kind of tier guys, especially because guys like Ethan Hankins and Kumar Rocker, those guys are probably going to fall in your first year player drafts. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see which ones, you know, Grayson Rodriguez is another guy I really like Ryan Weathers. Those guys are going to be going in the second round in your drafts. And I think that there's a chance that those guys can end up just as good as Matt Liebertor and yeah, exactly. guys like Kuma Rocker. Exactly. So it's like, if you really, really want one of these high school arms and try to bet big on a hot ticket guy like this, wait five years for him to develop, wait for the second round in your first year player draft, go with a nice bat in the first round and then second round it up. And then next thing you know, it might be sitting on a guy who, who shoots up boards, like one of the high school arms possibly in the last couple of years have but yeah i feel like we covered a lot there ralph i'm not really sure if there's anything else we want to talk about i know we're gonna obviously do some recap next week when we actually see who goes where and who yeah falls and exactly who rises, so, so i don't think we have to go crazy i just wanted to give the people some uh little teaser i thought it was an interesting topical conversation to have i think we're going to be jumping into more like a, the the 10 by 10 sort of shows maybe we'll, we'll stretch yeah, that we'll out with some out. updates yeah. and uh, maybe have some feature players or themes and then I think maybe in the second half, we'll, and as we wind down the year, maybe we'll, we'll start to go into some more ranking shows where we go positionally uh, for sure, the last sure. couple of months and sort of rank out position by position with like top tens or something. That's always fun to do. People like rankings too. So, hey, absolutely. Uh, that's where I think the show's probably going to be going over the next couple of weeks. I like doing some of this draft stuff, especially for everybody that's, you know, I think the draft has grown in terms of popularity. 
And uh, mm-hmm. I think it gives somebody a fantasy angle to look at it beyond just like, who does your team draft? You kind of have, all right, where's this guy ending up? All yeah. right. That's kind of interesting. Or, you know, who ends up in Colorado or, you know, who ends up being these, uh, the next pieces in this, this rebuild of the Kansas city system. So a lot of interesting storylines, you know, where to find me on Twitter at prospect Jesus. I have my articles that come out on Thursdays and on Sundays, we're finishing up the, the, the systems. It's going to be June. I'm going to finally finish up my off season previews. I had some other stuff going on with work, as I said, and uh, things that sort of got me delayed, but there's only like two or three of them left. One of them, one of them is the blue Jays, which I should just be like, read my last like 25 <laughs> articles. That's all I've written about. Link you know? to a bunch of Twitter accounts, me and you yeah. and, and everyone else who's tweeted stuff. Badler. <laughs> be on the lookout for the baseball show. Go back and watch some of the stuff. We had some great guests over the year. We had Eric Longy hanging on. We had Jim Callis on. We had Ben Badler on. As I said, we have Kyle Glazer on next week. Um, you know, Craig Mish, we've had a ton of different writers, Gray Albright, of course, oh, of course, Gray. Gray Albright. one of the funniest <laughs> episodes we ever did. We're back doing the live show now on YouTube only for a half hour. We have like a featured player really quick. I think it's been a little bit more tight than, than in years past. Um, and we have the crabs back in the, in the conversation after we finish that, we jump over, uh, to periscope and, and we've been doing these periscopes and still trying to get Lance and I to be able to do one though. I think it will change the the element of our show a little would, bit. We yeah. have people commenting on us, right? Uh, but yeah, they've been a lot of fun. I, you know, hop on there next week if Glazer sticks around. Maybe we'll be able to do some Q and A's with Glazer there, and that'll be really really cool. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for it. That's Wednesday nights. We start at nine forty five. Usually, hop on a Periscope about ten fifteen. Ralph, I love it, man. I'm right. I'm really excited. Next time we were talking, we'll know where all these draft guys are going on Atlanta Bros on Twitter. Um, yeah, I got to call them every Monday for Rasball, a bunch of other stuff kicking around. Twitter's usually the best way to get to me. And, uh, yeah, I'll be going to see more games. I'm probably doing, actually, as I go out to Chicago, I'll be doing a little road trip in terms of hitting some minor league parks. So that's going to be really cool to recap that with you. And uh, have you helped me out in terms of what uh, parks I should hit and teams I should hit? Um, <laughs> you'll be my triager in terms of uh, picking my games. Perfect. So I like it. <laughs> Big three sports. Big three sports, man. All right, Ralph, for the Prospect Podcast, I'm Lance. He's Ralph. He's Prospect Jesus. I'm also still Lance. So everybody enjoy the rest of your uh, weekend and enjoy the MLB draft.